So um, I have an interesting word tonight. Hopefully it's not too heavy. I think it's actually a, a lot of fun because of the results of what comes out of it. So we're talking about offense tonight. So I have affectionately codenamed my message, Trigger Alert. So Proverbs 18:19 says, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. So if we think about this, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. Think about what the offense. You talk about a military that's coming against a well-fortified city, and, and the, just being offended is stronger than that. It creates a resistance in our hearts, a resistance to God, a resistance to other people. When you keep offense in your heart, it actually keeps you from being able to receive life, even from scenarios where you're not feeling offended. So I'm well qualified to speak on this topic because I've walked through mountains of offense. I have been an extremely offendable person in my life. You can ask my wife, she's seen a bunch of it. I used to be so offended. Um, the truth is, when I was younger, more than anything else, I was actually offended by myself. And I don't know if any of you guys have experienced that, but I had such deep insecurity about who I was that I would say something and offend myself. Nobody else would notice. And it would just, I just mean, how stupid that was. Man, I'm an idiot. And I would beat myself up. And that's a type of offense I don't think we often think about. But what ended up happening is, as I got older, it made me more susceptible to even the slightest perceived offenses from other people. I felt so terrible about myself, I could not handle having the appearance of someone else thinking poorly of me. And so I grew in that kind of offense, and I learned the ways of simmering rage. And I say that because it's an intense way to say it, but really it's true. And I didn't let it out very often, but I learned subtle ways of throwing just the right insult out that would hit somebody at their weakest point. I learned how to make somebody feel excluded without making it feel intentional. I learned basically how to offend people and get away with it. Do you think that made, me pe do you think that made people treat me in ways that helped my self-esteem? In person, but I knew internally how I was judging other people. And what ends up happening is you create a cycle and you get trapped. And when we look at the word for offense in the New Testament, that's actually, the word is scandalon, the Greek word. And scandalon is actually, if you think about a mouse trap, there's the little lever where you put the cheese or the peanut butter, or whatever you put. That little lever is scandalon, where you put the bait. So think about this. Offense is actually the piece of a trap that leads you to being ensnared. And we're going to get into this more, but offense is one of the greatest ways the enemy uses to lock us up, to keep us imprisoned, to keep us sequestered away from the life and the provision of God. So scandal on. It's the trigger of a trap. So I want to start this topic by looking at our offender-in-chief. And I'm not talking about President Trump. <laughs> but when we look at the life of Jesus, it actually says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. See, Jesus, he got three typical responses from people. Curiosity, which was probably the lowest response, and then there were the two strong ones, either love or offense and hatred. People either adored him and were blessed by him and received from him, or they were offended and they couldn't receive and they cut it off and they didn't want it. When it says, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, I want you to think about this. Jesus himself... I'm going to come back to this. God laid out the Messiah plan in Scripture. He put the whole story of Jesus, if you look through Isaiah and you look through the Old Testament, he essentially told us what he was going to do. And the best theologians thought they knew it was coming. They thought he's going to come, he's going to set up shop, he's going to be the king. And God practically smacks them in the face 
with how absurdly upside down the reality is from what they thought was going to happen. They thought a king is coming and he's born in a manger with the, the dirty animals. He offends everybody's idea of who the Messiah is going to be. And the only people that can receive it are the people that don't have anything left to lose. They haven't built up their own really false identities of who he's supposed to be. See, offense, it's always an opportunity for us to either grow or reject growth. So when Jesus was received in his hometown, it's, they said, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph, Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him, and he could not do mighty work there. I think it's really interesting that it says, and he could not do mighty work there. Except that he laid his hands on a... Okay, come on. I mean, wouldn't that be considered mighty here? <laughs> It makes you wonder, like, so, so how, how big was this healing stuff that he did in other places? If we're saying he did heal a couple, he only healed a couple of people. It wasn't hundreds of thousands of people. And yet, because they couldn't receive him, he didn't do many miracles there. Right after that in Mark, the disciples are empowered and sent out to do exactly what Jesus had been doing. So because they were offended at him, offense actually kept the people of his hometown from receiving healing and from receiving the empowerment of the Spirit to do what Jesus had been doing. They couldn't get back to square zero. They were still stuck in their pain and their brokenness, much less move forward into what God had created for them. They were trapped. I've experienced a lot of different types of offense. So some of these are going to seem minor to you, but to me, they felt big at the time. So I had a pastor that I worked for, and I was a worship pastor for one of the youth groups. And essentially, my job was, he told me, I want you to come up with 10 uh, new worship songs a week, two skits, and something else. I can't remember what it was. So I would research and find these resources and save them. He never once in the whole time I worked there did he ask to see any of those or use any of those. It was just, that was my part-time job, and I'm just finding worship songs and skits and things. And I was fine with it. I enjoyed the kids. But he came to me one day and he said, you know, David, you're not a leader. And instantly, my, my offendedness went, Phew. I'm like, how dare you say that? What do you mean? You know, I didn't say that to his face. I'm like, uh, I was just, what do you mean? And he's like, you're not a leader. And so like, I kind of like in a zone, haze, just kind of walked back to my desk. And then a couple minutes later, I came back and I'm like, wait a minute, I, I disagree with you. I think I am a leader. And he's in, in a very kind of condescending way. He goes, no, it's okay. You're not a leader. You don't, it's okay. Not everybody's a leader. You're not a leader. And that, that was what I got from him. So I walked out of that experience really hurt. And that's something I held on to for a long time. I'm going to come back to that. But that's what I would call a legitimate offense. Then there's what I call neutral offense. So in a, I was in a, uh, this kind of prayer program, and I did a semester of it. It was great. I learned a lot. I enjoyed it, but I was kind of not really getting what I was hoping to get out of it, and I was ready to move on. So I told the leader, I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do the next semester. And he looked at me and he goes, that's just puke. And instantly I'm like, inside, I'm like, how dare you say my feelings are puke? You don't know my story. You don't know me. And like, I get my dukes up and he's like, yeah, that's just puke. I don't know what it is. I'm not saying, and he said this, he said, I'm not saying you're puke. I'm just saying that's puke. And I made a decision in that moment that actually changed my perspective and my approach to offense. I made the decision to complete the program and to finish the last semester and to let go of that moment and to actually use that moment to fuel me to do something that I didn't really want to do. The whole past part of my life, if I didn't want to do something, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't finish it. And that moment actually was a turning point for me in learning and growing in completing what I started. Uh, 
another mentor that I have probably has offended me on more occasions than almost anybody I can think of. And yet, it's the kind of offense where I always go back saying, I want more of that. I need more of that because I'm growing from that. That's really good. And my perspective over that time has shifted to, instead of using offense as a reason to run away and to lock up and to shut down and to push back, to use it as a chance to evaluate what's going on inside. Why do I feel that, that pang of offense? What does it mean? What's going on inside of me that's allowing that response? And really, should it be there anymore? Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. There's a type of offense that is actually healthy for us. It gives us an opportunity to grow. And it's better than people lying to your face. It's better to actually hear what people truly think, even if it does offend you. One of the interesting things, I used to be a real flake. I used to be late to everything. I would make promises and not keep them. I would be the guy that makes an appointment with somebody and then forgot about it and call them later and like, oh, I'm so sorry, I really meant to be there. And like, I genuinely cared about people. But it wasn't until somebody said, man, David, you're a real flake. Like, that sucks. And it took years for somebody to have the, the guts to say that. And when they did, I was like offended and then I had to change. See, offense in a lot of ways, now I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about abuse or violence or manipulation. I'm not talking about legitimate wrongs. I'm talking about things that offend our pride, things that internally tweak us in ways that we just feel is unfair or unjust or it's, they, don't, they just don't get me or how could they do this to me? Things that really, it's not about getting out of an unhealthy or an unsafe situation. It's about my pride more than anything. See, offense, in a lot of ways, it's misappropriated justice. Justice is meant, we talked about this a while ago, to bring reconciliation. But when we have a sense of, this is not just, and it's not just for me, we get offended and it rises up within us and we take control over the situation and we make judgments on the situation because we want to get justice for ourselves. What you said to me was wrong. What they did to me was wrong. And we wall up and we make this, this city the stronghold of defense and we reject any source of life or input from people that are like the person that did that. So the really interesting story about this comes in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Peter comes up to, to Jesus, and like he often does, he's trying to push the limits a little bit. And he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? As many as seven times. And I love that he's trying to get an exact number. He's like, seven times and then it's done, right? There's, where, when's the cutoff? I want to know when I can just say, forget you, I'm done. And Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom, and then he breaks into a parable. I love this. This is one of the very few times that Jesus teaches a parable directly to the disciples. Most of the time, it's to the masses, and then he explains it to the disciples. Here, he takes it right to them. And he says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who, owned him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. I think it's interesting that the servant didn't ask for the debt to be repaid. He said, have pity on me and I'll pay you everything. The master realizes you're not going to be able to repay this, so he releases the debt. But when that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him. So he jumps right into violence immediately, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. 
He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, I love this too, because now we're talking about the body of Christ. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We justify, more than anything else in our hearts, I believe we justify offenses and we say, no, this is legitimate. I have a right to feel this way. I have a right to have this here. And we let it stick. And Jesus is saying, you won't be forgiven unless you forgive your brother from your heart. One analysis of this passage uses, using modern wages, it says the 100 denarii was about $4,000 is what the one servant owed the other. What the first servant owned the master was about $4.5 billion with a B dollars. Yeah, he wasn't paying that back. <laughs> Can you imagine forgiving that debt? Can you imagine racking up that debt in the first place? <laughs> I think that saying a lot of things, one, about the abundance of our God and what he wants to give us, about the kind of debt that he forgives, and about what he requires of us in response to offense. See, let's go back to Jesus as the rock of offense. If you think about he's a rock, like literally there's a path and there's a rock sticking up on that path. And anybody who comes down that path is going to trip on that rock. It is unavoidable. He is the rock of offense. The question is, which trap are you going to get caught by? You know, wooing and hunting have a lot of similar qualities. You place enticing things in places where the object of your affection or your desire or your prey is going to find it so that you can get them where you want them and then capture them. On the one hand, we have the enemy of our souls who will gladly use the very actions of Jesus to get us offended and draw us into a prison far away from God's care and provision. And then on the other hand, we have a God who's given us the most shocking expression of love, dying for us when we were at our very worst who wants to entice us into freedom and healing and an intimate relationship. The difference maker between which trap you're going to trip into is our perspective. How do we choose to view ourselves, our God, and the people around us? You have to have an awareness of, we have to have an awareness of our own weaknesses. We have to be willing to be humble and teachable and use offense as something that can give us a chance to grow rather than something that says, this is going to shape my identity. We have to know who God is and what his nature is. We have to know, we have to be connected to him as father. We have to be connected to him as Holy Spirit, as Jesus. If we don't have the connection with God, if we don't know what it is to be a son or a daughter, if we don't know what it is to have him provide for us and care for us, if we don't know what it is to have him as nurturer and counselor, if we don't know what it is to have Jesus and what he has sacrificed for us, if we're not connected to that, we're going to be easily offendable. And if we don't have an accurate view of who others are, often we have an expectation that others are always going to do the right thing or we have an expectation that they care about us sometimes more than we care about ourselves. We have an expectation, especially of leaders, and we put them on this pedestal that says, in this position, this person is never going to wrong me. They're never going to fail me. How many of us have found out that's not the case? <laughs> 
Proverbs 17.9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. We're not talking about covering up things that are legitimate, inexcusable wrongs. We're not talking about abuse or violence or manipulation or things that, that should not be. We're talking about if you get offended by somebody, deal with it. Figure out why. What's the reason? And then release. The biggest key to being free of offense is I release you. I'm not the judge of your actions. I'm not the one that's going to dole out the punishment. Therefore, I'm not going to be the one to pronounce guilty. And let God take that in his hands. It doesn't mean you have to be best friends. It doesn't mean you put that person back into a place of trust. But we have to be careful to separate legitimate wrongs from perceived slights. Most often, what's being truly wounded is our pride, our own sense of self or expectations. And the only way to get free is to get God's perspective and have him replace our lenses. Just like Paul, he was so offended by the very concept of Christ, it put him in a murderous rage. He was killing people because he was offended at the idea of this gospel that Christians were teaching. And he was blinded. Jesus said, I came not for the seeing, but for the blind. He bl so God reveals the physical blindness of Paul, echoing his spiritual blindness. And when he gets prayed for it, it says something like scales actually fell out of his eyes. He changed his lenses. He changed his perspective. Even the greatest men and women of God have woundings that they sometimes speak out of. And to move past offense, we have to know how to let people be people, including ourselves, and how to let God be God. One of the best ways to judge what to do with an offense is to ask, what is the fruit in the life of the person that offended me? If somebody is connected to the heart of God, and their life is bearing good fruit, and they've offended me, I think the first question to ask is, do I have something that I need to learn through this? Why, why am I feeling this way? Does this invalidate everything else in their life? Is this coming out of their wounding? Or is this just touching a point in mine? Sometimes they don't have good fruit in their life. And then you need to learn how to, you know, and release, release. See, the thing about offense and think about our spiritual walk, we have to walk out our salvation with fear and trembling. Things don't just happen. When, even when we get free, when we get saved, what we don't realize is from that point forward, if we're not attentive to our spirit, things keep latching on over time. And over time, you get clogged up and you get gunked up. And we have to take action. We have to verbally actually bring it to God and say, God, in the name of Jesus, I release that pastor that said I wasn't a leader. I release that to you, and I take that completely out of my spirit and out of my soul. That's in your hands. I won't hold that anymore. It takes a little bit of work on our part to actually put it back into God's hands. He won't rip it out. Sometimes he'll wrestle it out. Sometimes he'll put us in situations where we have no choice but to I've been there. I've, I've wanted to hold on, and he wrestled it out. More often than not, though, we bathe in it until we choose to get out and give it up to God. And if you don't know if there's something to learn from the situation, if you don't know if it was just an offense or if it was your pride or if it was legitimate, ask somebody. Talk to somebody. That's what the body of Christ is for. Say, is this just me? Or was this, you know, and, and ask for prayer. Will you pray over me? Will you help break this offense off of me? I don't want to carry this anymore. Sometimes things won't get free in us until we get someone else to pray over us. And I can't tell you how often that's been the case with me and Catherine. There's been tons of times where I've come to her and I've said, I have prayed and prayed and prayed and I can't get this off. Will you just pray over me? Uh, whether it's a secondhand offense, I, I don't know about you guys, I've often found when my parents have been l really hurt by somebody or friends have been really hurt by somebody, we get a secondhand offense. Whether it's that or whether it's something you directly experienced, we've got to take it to pr in prayer. 
to God and get it released. So I want to open it up. I don't know if I went too fast. I feel like that was a lot in a short amount of time, but what have you guys experienced with offense and how have you walked through it? Or is there something you're still struggling through? Yeah. And that really started my journey because I did trust the Lord. But part of it is realizing, you know, everybody's on that walk. And he may have said stuff and he did stuff that, that he didn't know about. Or he thought later, man, I should have said that. Or God forgive me. And I don't know his personal life. And sometimes we don't realize that. People don't maybe say something that's offensive. And then later on, they might walk it out or work it out. And you may, may never know about it. But with the Lord, I had to continue. It was a little bit of work in progress until I... Yeah. In the end, he will take care of it. Just like I hope something does that to me. I hope I have the same grace and the same repentance. And somebody can sit and go too sick with this and allow the Lord to work through me to heal it Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really hard thing to remember. It's a hard thing to keep in perspective that, that he will judge. My tendency has always been to be like, no, they need to be held accountable now. Like, some, somebody needs to make this right. Somebody, and then, right, and, right, and then you switch into gossip, and then you switch, and then you actually end up trying to manipulate events to get them where you feel like they deserve to be, and we, we completely wrestle the, the judgment seat away from God. Um, yeah. Absolutely.
that, but then the fact that you just don't like it. <laughs> and I'm okay with it. Like, I just go with it. And, um, Is that why you don't call me anymore? That's so good. In certain offenses, that like if the goal is like you know how you said like just because they offend you like you forgive them doesn't mean also you need to trust them. But there are people that you hold dear to your heart. Yeah. And they offended you, and you have no idea why they offended you. And so that humility is going to kick in, and, and coming from like that soft spot to where there's so much healing that's going to come from both, and it's going to grow you more, as you said, as opposed to you know hurt you. It's just going to grow. Cool. Yeah, and something I, I, I was going to mention also is, is yeah, it's, it's always an opportunity to grow. It's always an opportunity to evaluate why we feel that way. It doesn't mean that what came against us wasn't legitimate, but, you know, and, and I think there's times when we let it go and we release it in private, and there's times when we have to approach some, somebody and say, look, I, I, this may be me, but I, don't feel, I feel like this is what happened, and this hurt me, and I want to ask you to stop. Or whatever it is. Yeah. Over the last year, I've probably been more offended and offendable than I have been since I can remember. And I have always been really good about being unoffendable, just letting things kind of slide off my chest or off my back, and just being like, okay, it is what it is. I can't control it. No big deal. But I noticed that over the last year, the offenses have. Hmm. My time was more self-focused because it was all about me as opposed to me resting in God and letting God take that offense or whatever you will for you for justice. Yeah. But it was all self-absorbed. It was all about me as opposed to me sitting in God and letting him handle everything. That's so good. I think so much of it is tied up in our identity. Like if, our, if there are pieces that are shaky in our identity and how we feel about ourselves and what we believe about ourselves, we will let other people attach their view onto us, even if it's an unhealthy one, or even our perception of their, their view of us. So, I mean, having our security and just knowing who you are and knowing when to let people speak into you, but also knowing when... I don't receive that. That's not a part of who I am. I know who I am. It's like a bruise. I don't know, but I, when I have bruises, I like play with them and like you just kind of like mess with it. Like offense, it's like it's almost a good like you just let it linger and simmer on it. Like. Right.
Yeah. 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 Well, and it's especially hard when it was a legit wounding. Like I was in a bad relationship when I was about 17, 18. Horrible. Like it, it wound up being very emotionally abusive. I made a ton of mistakes too, and I let it get as far as it did. But it hit a point where I had a nervous breakdown because she was saying I did things that never happened. And I was actually starting to question my sanity. Like, am I doing things without knowing? And it took me two years of trying to heal from that and forgive her. And I, I could not get to the point of forgiveness until I actually prayed, God, bring blessing to her. Like, bring life. And once I hit that point of being able to actually pray and, with, and meaning it, you, you can't pray blessing over somebody without your heart toward them changing. And then it became from my heart, and then it was released. Scene, I think, and I, I remember first thing that, like, dude, you got this gorgeous, yeah. you know, life, this woman, and, and just what are you doing? You know, because it was starting to eat him alive. And I think that's the underlying story of our of, of offense is it does eat you alive, and then you don't know why you're sick all the time, you don't know why nothing worked out for you, you don't know why you're always in debt, you don't know why you're always. Drama just sort of follows you like pig pen, and you know, it, yeah. and because you were offended somewhere, and you know, you have to be able to to, to release that, learn, grow. I love how you packed this tonight, David, because you sort of you, know, you gently went in with the offense and then the secondary offense, and then but you also justified or made right the you know the the extreme. Right. But God is never a God of abuse. Although he will he will offend us. Yeah. I love that analogy of the Count of Monte Cristo, because it's such a perfect analogy. He he couldn't enjoy anything. He had all the wealth, he was the richest person, he had the most beautiful wife, he had everything, and he couldn't enjoy any of it because he couldn't let that go. And I think that's so true of the promises of God for us. That's why he says, don't, don't come to communion until you go make things right with your brother. Because offense will keep you from receiving the life. It actually talks in the Bible about healing that can happen through communion. But we won't get any of that if we're walking in offense. Yeah. I think that's important for us too, just as a body, because we are full of such diversity. And we talk about unity and diversity and we celebrate that. But the truth is there's always gonna be times we rub up against each other. Somebody will say the wrong thing. Somebody will be 
scheduled too often on the worship team or the speaking circuit or whatever it is, like, you know, it, we're always going to, there's always going to be something. And so being willing to recognize, and I think it's particularly true in our, in our leadership. We've so often put leaders on pedestals of, gosh, they need to do everything right. And if they show any of their weakness or any of their failures, you know, I'm just done. And being willing to say with each other, you're offending me does not invalidate the rest of who you are. You're offending me doesn't invalidate the concern and love you have shown for me on other occasions. And in a healthy body, being able to, to separate things that way. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that pulls me to another movie in uh, Lord of the Rings when Theoden is, you know, possessed or whatever, and Gandalf walks in. Like, it's interesting that he's like Gandalf Stormcrow, and he calls him these names, and he's like, but you know that there, there's very likely an offense that Theoden had toward Gandalf, however minor, even before Wormtongue started whispering in his ear, but it just grew and it festered until everybody around him was suspicious, and everybody around him was out to get him, until he, Gandalf comes and says, I release you. And again, it's like Theoden has to say that, I release, you know, I just that ugh, I think that's such a huge part of it. Ooh, that's good. Because he could have been offended and said, I'm just going to leave. I'm not. But I love that, too, because that can bring them freedom. Us coming, like when that person came to me and said, you're a flake, <laughs> you know, it wasn't in a cruel way, but it was, it was in a, like, I hope you do better, you know, like Gandalf saying, I release you. But that did, that set me free because I realized something I didn't know about myself.
Absolutely. Separating. Absolutely. Forgetting your number from my phone. Yeah. Yeah, right. Were you offended? Um, so, I, I'm sorry. Sometimes you don't have to say you're sorry. Right. Sometimes say you need to be offended. Well, and that's that kind of healthy offense. Like, I have learned to appreciate that so much. I, I, people who offend me on a regular basis in that manner, whether they like it or not, I make a long-term connection with them because I, I want it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, give it, like, I want it. I need that. Thank you. Thanks. Well, let's close this out. I do want to say real quick, sometimes just praying through it or approaching another person or even having somebody else pray for you doesn't quite work it all out. Sometimes we need something more. So something that, that we are going to begin offering soon is just another intensive kind of prayer session to kind of walk through things like that. So we'll be sharing more details about that later. But if you feel like you've hit a wall and you're just not able to get free from 
an offense or from unforgiveness or whatever it is, um, let us know. There's, you, can, you can contact us through the website or email Lonnie or me or anybody, but um, we, we don't want anybody to feel like you're just stuck with it. There's no reason to let stuff stay in your life that is only bogging you down. So, God, we just thank you for the life that you bring. We thank you that Jesus is the rock of offense. We thank you that you cause us to stumble out of our wrong perception about ourselves and about you and give us an opportunity to see things in a different way. God, we thank you that you don't do things the way that we do, that you don't just cast us aside because how often have we done things that are offensive to you, God? And yet you love us and die for us. God, we just receive, Father, everything that you have for us. In the name of Jesus, I just pray for everyone in this room that we would all just be able to release the people that we have held on to for so long, the people that don't belong to us, their actions don't belong to us, and the end results of their actions don't belong to us. And we release them to you, Jesus, in your name. God, we receive your life, your help, your forgiveness. God, make us humble, make us teachable, and help us to approach our identity with confidence in you that it's not so changeable because of what somebody says or does toward us, but that we're able to truly stand on <laughs> the solid rock. Gosh, the rock of offense and the solid rock, the one that makes us stumble and the one that keeps us strong. God, I love that about you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.